because some of you are going to 11 o'clock period, as am I, so we are going to um, make sure that we get you on time. Uh, I am Cheryl Wayman. For those of you who don't know me, I've been a marriage and family therapist for about 30 years. Just retired my license and joining my husband, Denny, in retirement. So, you so, <laughs> <laughs> teaching a class, something new and different. <laughs> 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 no more sugar mama. No more sugar So, uh, we just devotional every morning and um, 
those of you who are adding cheers in the back, you might want to come up front here, Nikki, and give them some handouts that are on the front row. Um, okay, so we're not going to discuss so much this meditation on your feet, but it's just going to emphasize to you this theme of giving and receiving forgiveness. Okay, let me talk a little bit about forgiveness specifically as it relates to marriage. When Denny and I got together, excuse me, it was just after this uh, revival that had come to campus, and the chapel was open at all times. As I said, people were praying for, for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. When we started dating, I had just gotten to this campus from a thousand miles away from my home in Florida, and um, just was praying that God would direct me in my relationships and my choices. I think I realized for the first time, at 18 and a half, a thousand miles from anybody I knew, I really had the opportunity to really screw up my life in a major way. And so it, what it did for me was it drove me to prayer um, and just relying on God, depending on God for wisdom as an 18-year-old and, and guidance in all these things. And so Denny and I started dating and um, he at that time had, um, and he has his own story, had uh, drifted away. And so I prayed, you know, Lord, if you want us to have a relationship, you're going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to bring him back to you and, and make this happen, which he did. And so we got married at a very young age. I was 19, he was 20, in the state of Florida at that time where we got married. Your parents had to sign if you were under 21. I mean, this, yeah. And I still am a little bit surprised that we weren't talked out of it by somebody. But as it worked out, it was for the best because Denny and I experienced forgiveness in our relationship with the Lord as well as with each other. And so this is a key component to everything we're going to talk about today. This week, we're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. And we've scratched on that a little bit just by talking about the Asbury Revival and the power that forgiveness has to heal relationships. And then we're also going to talk about a true apology and what that really looks like to help us give and get forgiveness from one another. So we're going to jump right in. You got the clicker? Great. Next week, we'll talk about when there isn't an apology. That's a little bit harder to forgive when you don't have somebody say I'm sorry and get into what an apology is not, which we uh, confuse ourselves on. Okay. And the next It's skipping around, huh? Okay. Let's start with that first, though. Go back one if you can. Um, everybody who's ever been to a wedding <laughs> or ever been married. Probably, and lots of times in church, we talk about first uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 and what love is. And boy, it just it uh, kind of pulls apart the pieces of forgiveness here. Love is patient. We're going to talk about that. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow, that's a big word for forgiveness. <laughs> Love just does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Um, 
If you go away with nothing else today, go home and read that chapter with your spouse. And that will take you a long way from what we're talking about. So, okay, what, what's the big deal? What do we have to forgive? Um, and, of course, what immediately comes to mind is sins and offenses that we have It's essential to have our sins forgiven. We're told to uh, confess our sins one to another and we will be forgiven. To admit the truth, to say the truth, and ask forgiveness. When Denny and I first started in our relationship, we talked four hours was we felt like we had to catch each other up on every aspect of our lives. And uh, we would walk and talk, but there was nothing else to do. We were free, but we didn't have a car. So <laughs> we walked all over that little town and just talked and talked and talked about all the things that had happened in our past, past relationships, past things we regretted, um, hurts we had experienced in our families growing up. I mean, you name it, we talked about it. So uh, sins and offenses. Although we hadn't known each other before this time, these weren't sins and offenses against each other, but they were sins and offenses against God. And so confessing one to the other about those really helped to bind us. Uh, let's go to the next one. Human shortcomings, brokenness, and what was the last word here? Um, imperfections. Okay. We are all broken people. Can I get any not one of us is perfect. Not one of us was raised perfectly. We come with our brokenness, patterns from our families of origin that need to be broken and renewed. Um, and just we're just imperfect people. We make mistakes. We um, we do things that hurt people unintentionally. Have you ever done that? Even unintentionally and didn't even realize what we were doing. These are all things that have to do. Confess and forgive it. We have to say the truth about them. Confess and forgive. Next one, failures to meet our expectations. Here's the thing. You know, even in friendships, much less marriage, we somehow have this idea that our spouse, our friend, our family member should be God in our life. And uh, let, me, let me unpack that just a little bit. Not that we think that they are God and we need to obey them. No, it's not far. But that they shouldn't ever make any mistakes or ever hurt us or ever do anything that um, disappoints us. And I think that is what causes a lot of problems, not only in marriages, but in friendships, that we expect other people to be Godlike. And yeah, they might be growing towards God if they're Christian, but they are not there yet. None of us are there yet. And so these are all things that need forgiveness. So let's talk a little bit about the joy of forgiveness because that, I think, is where Nikki intended us to go since we're supposed to be talking about joy this spring instead of all the other stuff. What's joyful about being forgiven? Well, the first thing is we have a clean slate and a fresh start. And oh my goodness, what a wonderful experience that is for all of us who have accepted God's love into our life and God's forgiveness, to get to start with a clean slate is a whole new beginning. And when that happens in our marriage, we don't have to hang on to regrets and bitterness and resentments from past mistakes and offenses, right? The things that we've been talking about. So that's our first joy. Our second is we can be free of guilt and shame. Um, 
I don't know about you, and I don't, I don't know if this is just an oldest daughter thing or what. I was raised with a lot of guilt, and I was controlled by a lot of guilt. And so the freedom that Christ brings to forgive and be able to let go of guilt and shame, uh, this is a huge joy because that burden is lifted from us. Let's see, we got a verse up here. I've got such a glare on the TV. The TV's just got a mind. It's not the computer. Okay. So, TV fix. Yeah. Ready? If you can read, go for it. Okay, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So, this is commandment, right? Uh, this isn't just a suggestion. This will make your life go better. No, this is, this is Jesus' words. Is, or was this Paul? Paul. In Colossians. Okay, we got Jesus coming with even stronger words in just a minute. So um, these are essential components of our Christian life, and they're essential to the health of any marriage. Okay? Three. We have a third joy. We have an opportunity then to offer forgiveness to others. You know, I really don't know how non-Christians forgive. Because we're not wired as humans to forgive. We're wired as humans to kind of keep a record of wrongs and get revenge if possible, or at least cut them out of our life, or somehow get back at them. That's, that's the human response. It's, it's only a God-Jesus response to offer forgiveness when we've been hurt or offended or sinned against. So when we've experienced that, to be able to offer that then to someone else, what a gift, because this is new stuff. This isn't what's happening in our culture, if you haven't noticed. There isn't a lot of forgiveness and grace going around. And those of us who have experienced God's grace and forgiveness are the ones who are called then to pass it on to others. Okay? Some of the joys that this creates in a marriage specifically is it creates a safe relationship. If you're able to own what you've done wrong and apologize for it, and we'll talk about a true apology, what that includes, uh, own it, apologize for it, and actually forgive it and let it go, what a safe relationship. These are the best friends that we have who can let things go after they've been resolved. And um, yeah, this is the best way to build a marriage. Second, it makes living in peace possible. How else are we going to live in peace as a married couple if we can't get rid of all the baggage that weighs us down? Number three, it allows intimacy to grow. Very difficult to feel safe and intimate with another person if all the junk hasn't been dealt with and cleared out. Especially for women, I think that it really gets in the way of feeling free to be sexually intimate or intimate in any way if this hasn't happened. Okay, so how do we forgive? We're going to talk about a true apology. Does anyone want to sure. do your thing? Um, one of the things that <coughs> this document that we uh, gave you guys came out this morning. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's very timely. And of course, I love that one. And the point that he makes, of course, is that love has to have forgiveness in it in order for it to be loved. Because love is, is based upon that. And as Cheryl said, the safe environment in which we live, the freedom that we experience once we've forgiven, 
the ability to be close because now we've removed anything that was between us, whatever that was, whether it was failure of expectation or whether it was an offense or a sin against us. And I've sat in the counseling room that Cheryl has where um, a member has of the marriage has uh, confessed or been found out for adultery. Now, adultery is a very difficult thing to forgive, and yet through the power of God, it, it can be forgiven, and if the effects and, and dramatic Im impulses that came to that moment can be explored together such that they're not going to happen again, then there's opportunity to begin to build trust. But it's trust that's been broken whenever we've been transgressed against, and it has to be rebuilt. It has to be rebuilt over time with uh, all kinds of things that we could talk about if you're interested uh, in rebuilding a relationship. Uh, I'm, what I'm going to teach you right now, uh, I got it my doctor program, and I wish that I'd gotten it back when we got married. <laughs> it would have helped tremendously in our relationship because we didn't really understand the full aspect of forgiveness. How do you actually forgive? Do you just simply say, please forgive me? And, well, I already told you I'm sorry. Can't you <laughs> forgive me? You know, why can't you forget? Uh, and forget has to do more with trust, not your mind forget. You have to build trust to be able to forgive and be intimate again and so on like that. And so uh, this comes from David Augsburger, who's a professor at Fuller Seminary. And I'm going to teach you next week what is not a full apology? Because next week, what we're going to do is get down into all the kind of nitty gritty of the stuff of why doesn't, why is this so hard? Why is it hard? It seems so reasonable. I mean, did you disagree with anything Cheryl said? <laughs> no. I mean, any reasonable person would say, yeah, we should forgive. But why is it so hard? And we'll talk about all the things of why it's so hard, why, why we find it. But a lot of people, and myself included, didn't understand really the simple three-step process of a true apology. And the reason is that we tend to, to do it in generalities. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? <laughs> what exactly are you thinking that you need forgiveness for? What is the behavior that you did? And if we don't own that, then all we're doing is kind of going like an inch deep on a mile deep problem. Do you follow? And so as, as uh, the study of apologies and stuff that David did, he said, I'm sorry for, and then you should name what it is, for raising my voice, for not keeping my commitment or um, flirting with a girl at the party, or whatever it is. And there can be a thousand and ten thousand different things that the other person has now stepped back from the relationship and from the marriage because of something that we did. And if we don't realize what we did, and be able to own it and say, I'm sorry for doing that, then we're not going to be able to get around that back into intimacy, or even more appropriately, go through that and back to intimacy because we've owned it. 
Any questions about that? Because that's extremely important. So you say exactly what it is. Now, if you're not sure, you just notice that you're getting the silent treatment or somebody you know, hasn't been home for a week or whatever. Yeah. What if a person is uh, oversensitive and sometimes uh, maybe um, the expectations are not reasonable? Yeah. That one of the, one, that's one of the first questions we always ask ourselves, right? Is, is this really something that's my problem or are they having their feelings hurt because they're overly sensitive or, or are they expecting to be perfect or anything like that? Or their broken past is bubbling up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that part of the major problems is that um, I, I always I would just imagine here hit hit your hit your knee like this, just about that hard. Hit your knee. Come on, <laughs> do what I say. <laughs> we forgive you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now, does that hurt? No. No. But imagine that you did that for 18 years of childhood. <laughs> That's called chronic abuse. It's where you just do these little things over and over and over again. And then if somebody comes with their knuckle five feet from you, you're going to react. Do you follow? Now, acute abuse is if I took a bat and hit your knee. You'd say on you know the 12th of, of uh, February, you didn't abuse me. God, you remember that, you know, and it's easy to forgive in that sense that you know what it was and you shouldn't hit me with the bat, right? So usually when we, what we call oversensitive in another person is a chronic abuse in which anything that gets close to that is a problem. And they overreact, we call it, because they do. They overreact to what we did. But that's a moment when you need to go to a counselor and find out what that abuse was and how did it happen and when and where and heal that. Mm -hmm. So always take those moments as opportunities. Oh, you know, we seem to be having a different experience here. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go to a counselor and talk about it? So then a good counselor. Let me just add right here. This is, if you want to know, is this big enough to go to counseling for? I'll give you the answer. This is worth a lot of money. <laughs> if your past is interfering with your present, that's when you go to counseling. Because we can problem solve, we can do things to work on marriages, forgiveness, true apologies, all this good stuff. But if the past is bubbling up in a way that, that it is negatively impacting your ability to move forward, that's when a professional counselor is helpful. Now that's the half of it. The other side is that they have too high of expectations. And uh, that can come from a whole lot of places. Some of it can be abuse. Because anybody who's been abused becomes hypersensitive to anything that's happening. And if anybody's going to get close to that, they're not going to be near them. Do you follow? So that, that can come from the past. Some of it can just come from romance novels. And Disney. Disney. <laughs> you know, wanting to be the prince, prince or princess. And Happily ever after. <laughs> and that, that's, that's where, and a lot of that is cultural, actually, how you're treated and how you expect people to be, and so on like that. So, you know, that has to be explored by sitting down and saying, well, help me understand what you expect. 
And that goes back to what we're not talking about today, which is communication, <coughs> you know, talking things through so that you understand where the other person is coming from and how they got there. Because everybody got there for a reason. They're not stupid. They got there for a reason. Does, does that make sense? And that's where a counselor can help, if not, not as necessary as perhaps a good friend. Um, may I give an example of something and ask how does it deserve an apology, sort of? So I'm responsible for putting up Christmas decorations, not responsible. My husband doesn't care about Christmas decorations. So I do it all, which means the tree, the windows, the lights around the windows, blah, blah, blah. We bought these very white lights that didn't look good on the tree. So my husband said, why don't you just take down those other lights and put them on the tree? And I was like, you know how many hours that took me? I agree, I don't like the white lights, but I don't think you appreciate how many hours it took me. And so I was hurt. And so, I wanted an apology. So the question is, is there ever a time when a, when a friend is hurt where you don't apologize? Right. The answer is always apologize. So my husband said he couldn't because it doesn't, we'll talk about next week when people don't want to follow. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, he didn't whole, mean it to hurt me, is what he That's was exactly, that's a whole different issue. Okay. And, uh, and we'll talk about, be sure to David's here next week. So we can talk about that, because that, that's an important, important process. But apology is always a part of the reconciliation, whether or not it is, from your opinion, deserved. But it's a different kind of apology. I'm sorry that my uh, not putting the lights up or whatever wanted to do that. And they say, I'm sorry that you were. And this is where we get into the regret. Uh, the regret is, is not only owning your own behavior, but it's owning the love that caused you to feel regret when the other person is hurt, whether or not you meant to or wanted to hurt them. It's just simply love. Um, it, it's like I always say to people who are in the midst of grief. Grief is just love. You wouldn't grieve if you didn't love them. So feel it. Let it be in. Let, it pe let yourself feel the grief. Feel the loss of love. Feel, feel what that emptiness. Feel it. Because that's love. It's, it's, it's as much a part of love as the euphoria you experience you know, on your wedding night or let me just say that when, you, when the person who's apologizing says, I regret the pain I caused you, then whether your spouse cares about Christmas lights or not, they can still own that they regret that you were hurt in that relationship. And I know we've all got a million illustrations. We're going to keep it moving so we can get you to church at 11. So let's go to number three. Now, this is where I get more kickback than actually the other two. I promise not to raise my voice again. <laughs> Nobody wants to promise that. <laughs> Why not? It's a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a promise. It's, it's now, if you raise your voice, you're the bad guy. You know, and they might deserve their voice raised against them before, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see the thinking? It's the promise part that people don't like. But if you don't promise to change, then reconciliation is just a game. You've got to change. The relationship has to change. Our behavior has to change. 
Everything has to change in order for us to grow in love and intimacy and closeness and safety and joy in the marriage and so on. We, we all are growing and there's nothing that changes us towards growth like a, a good marriage where you are following Christ together in, in love and forgiveness and life. Do you, you follow? And so that's why it's very important for you to realize that the point of all this is we got to change behaviors. we got to stop this part so that we're not doing the things that cause pain. And then, of course, we can go on to the next thing. Because as, as, you, as you grow, you're dealing with very superficial stuff, like who left the toilet seat up, you know? <laughs> That's very superficial. If you keep track of that, you're going to be in real trouble. But um, I'll talk about that next week. And so um, when, you, when you go on down, though, I've solved, we, you've solved this one, you've resolved this one, you're not going to do this one. You keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the very soul. And you change the very nature of your motivation. Why are you married in the first place? Why did you choose each other? What does it mean to be you in this marriage? And how am I going to grow into the likeness of Christ? Not the likeness of the person the spouse wants you to be, but the likeness of Christ. And how does that resolve itself? And so marriage enters us into the deepest places. So we wanted to save these last 10 minutes. Just one second. Just before we move on from three, a lot of times people will say, I'll try not to do this again, right? Remember Yoda, no try, do. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, it's not about good intentions. It's about actual change so that the relationship is strengthened. Yes, Sarah. Does it happen that there are times where... One partner has expectations that are so uh, deep or broad that the other partner is the perpetual offender. Where it's lopsided. Yeah. Women married to men. <laughs> yes. It's not always that way, but I did get a But in a generic answer to your question, I think that a lot of us were raised as little girls to have the Disney view that once we found our Prince Charming, they would know how to express love to us and do it in a perfect way and we would live happily ever after. We saw a terrible movie last night on Netflix. Don't recommend it. Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. But Okay, terrible movie. But the last frame was got married, lived happily ever after, not really, because marriage is hard, but they did have a good life. That is a much more realistic view of what's to come. And we do our kids a real disservice to make them think that, you know, marriage is easy. It's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And so some of these high expectations that one or the other, and I'm sorry if I offended the, all the women in the room, but whatever. Um, although... Coming in with high expectations, some of those expectations may be really good ideas. You know, maybe, I'll just give you a simple example. Maybe an expectation that everybody will put their phone 
in a basket and so it won't go off all the way through dinner. You know, that may be a high expectation for the other partner, but it also might be a good thing for the marriage and the family. So, you know, talking things through objectively, is this a good value for our relationship? I realize you were raised with this and you always believed this would be how it would be. Let's talk about the reality of it in our relationship. Does that help at all? Yeah. Okay. Talking through. Oh, quick. And, and okay, go ahead, uh, Russell. You raise your hand first, then Joe. Is it an apology to say I'm sorry that you feel that way? No, <laughs> 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 it's not an apology. I, I, it, was, it took me a long time to realize that someone said that to me. I didn't feel right. That doesn't. <laughs> well, no, I, no, that's I, like I, saying I'm sorry that you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do a lot about that. I, I'm sorry if you feel crazy. <laughs> Actually, my question follows right up on Russell's, and that is, yeah. what if in a situation there's a lot of stress and tension, and you know that an apology is needed, there needs to be something to bring it together, but you are honestly searching your mind to try and understand what is it that I have done mm -hmm. that I can own it. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't apologize by, for the fact that we are having stress. I sometimes try, I sometimes, I'm, I'm so sorry that we are upset with each other about that. Um, and that's not quite the same as saying, I'm sorry you feel this way. But what if you really can't figure out? <laughs> and by asking, what did I do? I really, I'm, there's no answer for it. To tell me. What then? You can't get the whole thing started. Got perfect, perfect lead in for next week. Yes, <laughs> come what, back. That's what we're going to talk about. Why is that so hard? Yeah. Why is it so hard to talk about that? Just to find the reason. Well, it's because of our brokenness. And well, that's just a precursor, but we'll talk about what kind of brokenness. In a nutshell, just because, okay, we still will leave it as an invitation for next week, but in a nutshell, you still have to ask the question. I, I realize there's tension right now. I probably need to apologize for something. Help me know what to apologize for, you know? Okay. And, and if, if they can be honest enough with you to tell you, then you're on the road. And if they know. And if and, they know, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's where, if this were a communication class, we would say, you take a 10-minute walk, you pray, not, not think about what you're going to say to them when you get back. But, you know, they pray and ask for insight, and then come back. Uh, because often in the moment, our brains are flooded, we call it, flooded with emotion, right? And we can't think. And so, all we know is they're a creep right now. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know what the baggage is our own past. It's right, because we all have blind spots have from our We're brokenness. All yeah. These glasses that are cracked, yeah. and or dimly cracked, or something. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. This will be the last one, Grace. I applaud the fact that you said when someone asks you, "How have you made it to 70 years of marriage?" The first thing I say is, "It's hard." Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't hard. expect happiness all the time. No. You've got to work it through. Happiness, but actually, the happiness that comes after the problems, you know, the success that comes after the stress. Remember we started the class with the joy of forgiveness? That's <laughs> yeah, the result right. of, go of really dealing with things in an appropriate and basically Christian way, right? The way Jesus tells us to. I wish these were bigger on the screen so you yeah, can see that. We'll, we'll, we'll work on our formatting next, we'll week. Fix that next week. Um, but there are a few private questions we'd like you to, you to uh, no, no. examine for yourself as well as to discuss with your spouse. If your spouse is 
present, pull your chairs apart so nobody else hears your discussion. And let me just read them so you in the back know what we're talking about. So we want you to look at how have I received God's forgiveness in my own life. If you don't feel like God's ever forgiven you, then that's where you got to start. How have I been forgiven? What have I been forgiven for? What has God done in my own life to um, give me this experience of forgiveness? And then how have I forgiven my spouse? And I'm not asking here for you to make a list of all the bad things that you've forgiven through the years. But have you practiced this um, discipline? It's a spiritual discipline. Have I practiced this in my own relationship with my spouse? How have I extended forgiveness? And let them know that they're forgiven. Uh, Number three, what is the last thing I apologize for? Some of us know exactly what that was because we have things that we ask forgiveness for a lot. Um, Number four, what is the last behavior I forgave from the other person? And have I really let it go? Keeping a list of wrongs or a record in our mind, rehearsing that, that is a sure road to bitterness, resentment. That will kill marriage probably deader than just about anything else I can think of. And number five, what do I still need to apologize for? And six, what do I still need to forgive? So these are things for the two of you to speak with privately alone. So you can do it now or take a picture of it and go, go and do it at home. Or if your spouse isn't here, you might want to take a picture. Yeah, take a picture and talk about it at home. And, uh, and if you want this, however you want to your spouse isn't here, just send me an email, I'll send it to you. Denny, will you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we know that your forgiveness is core to all love, and we receive yours, and we give it freely to these who we love so deeply. Let your grace be with each person who's here. Mm-hmm. Thank you that they're willing to come and work on their true uh, apology and relationship and love. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you all. Have a great week. Yeah.